the best product. I've been involved in the Patagonia field testing program for a little over 20 years right now. For silent sports done in nature. That's the feeling. That's the feeling that I fell in love with with climate. Cause no unnecessary harm. Of organic cotton and recycled polyester to recycling the clothing to measuring our carbon footprint. Inspire and implement solutions to the environmental crisis. To give some love back to this river that doesn't have any. It's not getting any love. See what drives us at Patagonia.com. With additional support from Kuat Racks and New Belgium Brewing. Have you have you ever like in all the years thought you've you've been hardcore? <laughs> no. <laughs> really? No. No, definitely not. <laughs> Why not? Cause dude, people are doing such cooler, like more difficult stuff than I am. Huh. Have you? Um maybe there were like there was like <laughs> other, I don't know, there's probably like a, a point when I was younger that I thought you know, I don't know, I was like sort of taking off these goals that I had and you, know, you kind of think you're a badass, but it was it was pretty short-lived because you kind of realize there's always somebody out there that's trying harder than you or... Training more. Training more, <laughs> doing something, or just giving it all their effort. I don't know, I definitely remember, like, the, the volcanoes that we did when we were skiing, the volcanoes, you know, we're doing, like, six of these in a year or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we'd be getting up at 2 o'clock in the morning or whatever, and we'd go up and hike for 10 hours, and you'd feel miserable, but you would be passing all these people on these popular routes, and and I remember, you know, you'd see them, and they'd obviously been, you know, climbing for two days or something like that, and they have a big pack on, and we'd have all a little, like, light gear, and, you know, they might be out with their, like, son or something like that. And, and you'd see them and they'd be, like, just sweating bullets. And they looked like they were just struggling so mightily. You'd roll up to them and, like, I, I don't know, you'd ask them, like, how they're doing. And, you know, they'd say, this is amazing. This is wonderful. And you look at it and you're like, my God, like, they look like they're dying, <laughs> you know? And I and I realized like then like I don't have what they have like I might be able to like you know get through this or have lighter gear or no more but I don't have the effort or the 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 gur the gur that the they have they were so much more hardcore like you just saw it even though you were faster that you realized like these people are giving everything they have mm-hmm. and it was super inspiring and it was awesome to see him at the top because you did see like you just saw this light in their eyes where they're like yeah. I did give this everything I had. Literally. (laughs) (laughs) It was so impressive. So that's pretty much when I decided I wasn't hardcore. There are hundreds, probably thousands of tests online that you can take to find out how you measure up. And people do. You can measure your IQ, you can do your credit score, your hotness, whatever. You believe me if you're on Facebook, because you've seen them. It's filled with ways to measure yourself against others. Our sports have long heralded systems that let us know how we're doing. Yosemite Decimal System, Whitewater Grades, Big Air, Hawaiian Scale, Black Diamond or Blue Square, What's Your Mile Time? These things, they help us set our goals. But sometimes, adventures that challenge us go beyond these systems. 
Yardsticks of time or distance are forgotten. Fatigue, hunger, and mental resilience are elements that, that can't be neatly captured. At this point, we begin to enter that mythical realm. We flirt with being hardcore. Today, Brendan Leonard presents What's Hardcore? What does it take to achieve this mythic-like status? Well, Brendan's got an idea too. How do you measure up? Tune in to find out. You'll be surprised. I'm Fitzko Hall, and you're listening to The Dirtbag Diaries. The ranger at Rainbow Bridge's National Monument tried to discourage us from camping there. We'd be bored in an hour, he said. My pal Nick and I were a week into our first real road trip, and we were in southeast Utah. I had hiked up a couple of mountains and probably spent four nights in a tent my entire life. We asked the ranger where he would recommend we stay for the night since he didn't want us to stay at his park. He thought for a second, then asked, I'll tell you what, are you guys in tents? I looked at Nick. Both of us shrugged, then nodded. We had hiked up the cables route on Half Dome a few days earlier, and that had felt pretty intense. The ranger told us to drive into the Valley of the Gods, pull off the road anywhere, and camp. We thanked him for the advice. In the parking lot, I looked over the roof of the car at Nick. Oh, I said. He said, intense. Like, are we camping in tents or in an RV? Yeah, Nick said. He had obviously understood that the first time. In the last six years, I've become a decent climber, learned to ski in the backcountry, and found my way up quite a few classic mountaineering routes and rock climbs. If I can get into the mountains and push myself to the point of being really scared, or to the point of being in a tremendous amount of pain, and then push past that point, I feel tough. I feel accomplished. But I read climbing magazines. I go to the touring Banff Film Festival. On my first flip through Patagonia's catalog, I only look at the photos of people doing cool stuff. And then I compare myself to the people in those articles, photos, and movies. I look at those photos and articles, and I feel like Napoleon Dynamite. I ask myself, why do I not push myself more and try to climb 5.11 trad routes? Why am I not driven to get on a big wall? Shouldn't I ski 20-foot-wide, 45-degree coulars? Shouldn't I be spending six weeks in Alaska next year, crushing it? In my quest to be hardcore, I almost always look to climbing because the deck is pretty well stacked against the traditional idea of fun. And sometimes you can find a real gem with a miserable off-trail approach, tons of thorny vegetation to hack through, and an uphill walk at the end of a long day. That was what I liked about Mount Hayden, a spire off the north rim of the Grand Canyon. It seemed to have a lot of built-in potential for suffering. I was lured to Mount Hayden by an internet photo of two people alone on top of the spire and totally ignored all the negative beta in everyone's trip reports. At the base of the climb, I remembered Mick had only climbed twice before and we hadn't told anyone where we were going. I got us off route under some run-out, crumbly, scary sandstone. The closest humans were in the occasional tour helicopter flying above the Colorado River 6,000 feet below and 8 miles away. We hurried off the summit, getting our ropes tangled and stuck in bushes and cracks on each of the three rappels, watching the sun drop lower with every delay. 
I was out of gas well before we even started the bushwhack back up to the rim. At one point, I got tangled and fell face first into a mess of thorns. I contemplated just staying there for a while and having a good cry about the whole thing. It was dark when I swung myself over the guardrail onto the rim at Point Imperial, where most folks stay to shoot photos. I sat down on the concrete steps, 200 feet from the car, and exhaled. At that moment, the climb was one of the toughest things I had ever done. I was sure it was the most physical pain and stress I'd ever felt in one day. It was hardcore, right? Nah. There were 50 other signatures in the summit register. If it was that hardcore, how could 50 other people do it? I was like, wow, why I feel so sad. I did it anyway, walked down with no man. Ended up on Fry Road, keyboard and faux bags. Turns out I could still sit up in your class and do more than just get by and go past. Nick and I meet every Tuesday at St. Mark's Coffee House in Denver. A few times a year before he says, what'd you do last weekend? I say, I think I got a new number one. We have this ever-evolving conversation about the top 10 hardest things I've ever done. He always says his number one is our one-day ascent of the Middle Teton when he got the chills in the parking lot at the end of the day and told me his teeth were getting hot. My number one, or actually my top five, seems to get replaced every summer as I get older and apparently dumber. One summer morning, we topped out in the quickly disintegrating North Kular of Quandary Peak at about 14,000 feet. Nick laid his face on the snow, ice axe still in hand, skis and pack still on his back, and said, Oh, you gotta do this. It feels so good. I had to fight to convince him to walk the final 300 vertical feet to the summit. I was surprised the next week when he said it was not his new number one. It was mine. But I had gotten altitude sickness, which gave me a thundering headache for about four hours and nearly caused me to soil myself on the descent. Then, months later, the Hayden epic replaced the quandary debacle. Mount Hayden was bumped the following February when I started the fourth day of my cross-country bike trip with a fever, biked 87 miles with a 60-pound trailer attached to my bike, through the hills east of Brawley, California, then shivered through dinner and collapsed into bed for 12 hours. That stayed at number one for about four and a half months until I talked my friend Sid and my girlfriend Steph into a one-day traverse of Rocky Mountain National Park, which was only 25 miles and topped out at a little over 12,000 feet twice. But I killed 200 mosquitoes in the last five miles, making a long day completely miserable. And the next Tuesday, I told Nick, that was pretty hardcore. But I live in Colorado. Climbing the North Kular of Quandary Peak and skiing the East Face, that's something a lot of weekend warriors do. It's just not that hardcore in the grand scheme of things. So I find myself bringing this up with everyone who has a passion for anything in the mountains. What is hardcore? Kelly Cordes has spent plenty of time in very high, very dangerous places. In Pakistan, Patagonia, and Peru, sometimes on mountains with names you Google, only to get nothing, or just a single photo. Mountains or routes that no one had ever climbed before and no one might ever climb again. Like the Azim Ridge on the Great Trango Tower in Pakistan, which Kelly put up with Josh Wharton in 2004. 7,400 feet of technical climbing to a 20,000-foot summit in the middle of nowhere. When I ask Kelly to tell me about the most hardcore thing he's ever done, he pauses for a second, then tells me the story of the Great Trango Tower. 
I mean, the climb itself wasn't all that bad. You know, it's funny how memory, you know, fades things. But we went a long time without water, um, 48 hours without water. And, and you know, we were just kind of strung out, I guess. And, uh, and, and we were getting a little thirsty and uh, we're a little hungry, too, because you can't really eat when you're not drinking. But, you know, it was only a couple of days. I mean, it's not that big of a deal. Right. Not that big of a deal. He described the climb like it was a Saturday trip to the mall. In 2003, Kelly and pal Jim Earl put up a new route on 19,275-foot Nevado Ulta in Peru, and things got a little more serious. They hadn't spent enough time acclimating, and near the top of the technical climbing, Kelly began hallucinating that he was climbing and conversing with a group of little Peruvian men. And I was hallucinating, and Jim was collapsing. He he ended up having pulmonary edema, and uh, we got down, like a huge avalanche just missed us on the descent and uh i remember getting down and we, we finally like made the last repel it was like i don't know, like 22 or so 60 meter repels to get down the other side and uh we're down at the bottom like being so disoriented jim and i somehow got separated several hours later we show up you know and a couple hours apart from each other there and that's when jim's lungs started to gurgle we were so exhausted. I mean, we had been on the go for, I don't know, 40 some hours. And, uh, there, there's like a six hour chunk of time that I cannot account for. Keep in mind, I asked Kelly about the most hardcore thing he's ever done. And this is the second thing on his list. Not many of us have experienced anything even close to that. This is the stuff hardcore legends are made of, isn't it? The only thing I'm pretty convinced of is that anybody who thinks that they're hardcore isn't. I think that's about the only, the only absolute that there's always, always, always someone more badass than you are. And the, and the person who thinks that they're super badass is really just, is probably a total poser. So maybe I can start developing a list of rules. The first rule of being hardcore is you do not talk about being hardcore. And the things I think are hardcore involve suffering. So the second rule of being hardcore is that you suffer in some unimaginable way. Kelly has a laundry list of people he thinks are hardcore. Names he would probably like me to substitute for his. Alpinist Marco Prezel. Gafur, Kelly's cook, travel guide, and friend in Pakistan. Chuck Norris. Ernest Shackleton, the British Antarctic explorer. The outlaw Josie Wales. I look at my ultra marathoner friends, they're running like a hundred miles, you know, voluntarily. And, and so once you start hurting like midway through and everybody hurts, there's no way anyone feels good for a hundred miles. You know, why not just quit? You know, seriously. I mean, sometimes in, on alpine climbs, you could, you know, it, you, you kind of have to sometimes continue. And then Kelly says the name of someone who's not a high profile competitor, not a big name sponsored athlete, a name I'm quite familiar with. There's this buddy of mine who used to live in Denver, Fixie Dave. Dave rides a fixed gear mountain bike. One speed, no coasting. If the wheels move, the pedals move. Fixies are popular amongst bike messengers and hipsters, but not mountain bikers. Imagine losing the ability to coast when you're trying to navigate a tight corner on tricky single track. But Dave loved it. The first time I met him, I asked about his weekend. 
He replied that he had biked 120 miles from Denver up to Laramie and then competed in the 72-mile Laramie Enduro mountain bike race on a fixed-gear mountain bike. Another time I met him for coffee, he was rocking a tremendous sunburn after biking 160 miles before going to work. When I saw Dave, I told him Kelly said that he was hardcore. He laughed and told me he could never do all that stuff Kelly does, especially because he's scared of heights. Would you be there and would you call me crazy? I'm so scared of being out of control. I could speak a little Can we never see ourselves as hardcore, but see hardcore in others? This is becoming very zen. Rule number three, it's a matter of perspective. I am not hardcore, but I know somebody who is. My friend who has never climbed a mountain, but beat both stage 3 Hodgkin's and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma at the same time, is hardcore. The pilot who was shot down in Iraq and had both legs and part of an arm amputated and battled to walk again and smile, definitely hardcore. How about my grandma, who has lived alone since my grandpa died 24 years ago, and when she was 82, walked around on a broken hip for three days before going to the doctor? For sure. I would argue that hardcore is not so much skill and grace, but grit, guts, and sheer force of will. Whatever makes ordinary people able to do something extraordinary when life gets desperate. People who don't whine, no matter what happens. That's hardcore. Hardcore rule number four. You do not complain. One of the best compliments I've ever heard my pal Nick pay someone was when he talked about a friend who ran ski lifts at Breckenridge, Tommy Riley. His description, That guy never bitched about anything. Not once. After his short career as a ski bum, Tommy returned home to the Windy City and now works in the audio-visual department at the Art Institute of Chicago. His personal blog, where he used to post trip reports and musings on city life, was called Mediocore Chicago. So Mediocore is a relic of my punk rock days. And uh, when you're talking about punk rock hardcore music, it's, it's nuts, it's fast, it's insane. And then there was this genre of Mediocore that uh, is like a little bit slower, kind of more poppy, and, you know, you could recognize what the lyrics were saying. Though Tommy makes a trip out to Colorado to snowboard every once in a while, he mostly skis in the Midwest these days. But he bikes to work at his job every day. He's actually never driven there. It's nine miles one way. He bikes every day. Rain, shine, snow, wind, whatever. You're on the city streets, that's the worst, because uh, you, uh, they plow the streets, but you know, we, we salt the streets here in Chicago, so it creates this, this slurry mix, so you're, you're constantly splattering water and icy water all over yourself. It's the worst. It's, it's all about wind chill here, so it, uh, you'll get the wind chill warning out, you know, I've definitely had negative 11 on the on the wind chill when I got into work, but uh, when you're on a bike, you always got a wind chill, so it's uh, not that big a deal. Negative 11, snow, wet shoes. Now, see, if I was sitting at the front desk, you know, as a security guard at the Art Institute of Chicago, and I saw you walk in on one of these days, I would say, "Man, <laughs> that guy is hardcore." Now how now how do you argue against that and say that no that's just mediocre? I 
I don't know. Um, I don't know. There's really nobody. Uh, well, I guess uh, it's sheer stupidity, though. I mean, it's 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 a lot different than uh, uh, than than you know, hardcore or not. I mean, I'm not I'm not pushing a sport. I'm just getting to work. You know, I'm just uh, I'm just out there. Right, Tommy. As discussed in rules two and three, denying that you are hardcore is just evidence that you are, in fact, hardcore. Lots of us push ourselves towards something bigger, busting our lungs on trail runs, entering cyclocross races, crashing bikes, skinning up ridges till we think we won't have the legs to ski down, kicking crampon steps a thousand at a time, wondering why we got out of bed and packed a backpack before our neighbors even got home from the bar. All of these are entry points to hardcore, things that can break you if you let them. But none of them by themselves is a universal litmus test for being hardcore. Perhaps hardcore can be pursued, but never truly achieved. It's a moving target, like enlightenment. Maybe I'll never find it, but I'm going to keep trying. Why? I don't know, really. Maybe I'm trying to be tough, get tough, or find out where my limit is. Perhaps I have poor role models for defining fun, people like Kelly, Dave, and Tommy, and I'm just foolishly trying to put a label on it. What I do know is if you A, are suffering, B, are not complaining, C, know someone who is hardcore, but D, do not think you yourself are hardcore, then you just might be hardcore. Big changes are afoot for Brendan Leonard. He's made the leap to being a full-time writer. That's a huge step. Nice work, buddy. Music Today by Kite Sail High, Ill City, Super Stereo, and Kanon. Kanon grew up in Somalia before immigrating to the U.S. and offers a different perspective to what's hardcore. Let me tell you about home. I put a pen to the paper. This time as visual as possible. Guns blast at the hospital. The walls are whitewashed with tin rooftops. To show love, you lick two shots is dangerous. Journalists, how your gunmen this You can download the songs for free and find out information about the artists on our site, dirtbagdiaries.com. And while you're there, check out our t-shirts. The first batch did so well that Walker went ahead and dropped in a few more designs. There's a link on the right-hand edge of our site that'll get you there, so you can check out all the t-shirts. Patagonia makes the diaries possible. Their new environmental campaign, Our Common Water, spotlights the need to balance human water consumption with those of plants and animals. They'll also be looking at how they use their water to make clothes and efforts to reduce it. Check it out at environmentalism on patagonia.com. Support for the show comes from Kuat Rack. They make bike racks that will have you falling in love. Check them out online at kuatracks.com or maybe become their friend on Facebook where they give a lot of cool stuff away. Additional support comes from New Belgium Brewing. Visit them online at newbelgium.com. I'm Fitzcahal, that was Brendan Leonard, and you've been listening to the Dirtbag Diaries.
block. You don't pay at the roadblock, you get your throat shot. And each roadblock is set up by these gangsters. And different gangsters go by different standards. For example, the evening is a no-go. Unless you want to wear a bullet like a logo. In the day, you should never take the alleyway. The only thing that validates you is the AK. They chew on chat, it's sort of like coca leaves. And ain't no police, so what's hardcore? Really? Are they hardcore? Hmm. So what's hardcore? Really?